welcome to the Happy Project Podcast. My name is Becky, and once again, I must regrettably inform you that Cedric Skysetti could not join us for this episode. He's just very busy and has lots of things going on, so I'm sure you guys understand and will forgive him for his absence. But he'll be here next week, I say once again, with lots of hope. But today we have another interesting episode for you guys. Now, I hope that you listened to our latest episode on the Light Dai Han. These are the mixed Vietnamese and Korean children that were born um, specifically due to gender violence from the Vietnam War. Now, uh, today we are going to discuss a certain group of mixed Koreans who are living outside of Korea. They are part of the Korean diaspora. And they do hold some similarities to the Light Daihan, enough so much that they have actually been called the second Light Daihan, right? Like another Light Daihan, that of course, not Vietnamese. But today, we're going to talk about Kopino. Now, Kopino itself is not really, you know, a real term. But if you break it down, you've got Kopino, Korean, Filipina. Now, Kopina is uh, a word for a child who is born of a Korean father and unwed Filipina mother. Now, again, it's very specific. This isn't just, you know, Philippines and Korean, despite whatever parent is which country. It's specifically a Korean father and a Filipina mother. And like I mentioned, sometimes called the second Light Daihan. And that's where you see the similarity, because again, Light Daihan has to do with Korean father and then a Vietnamese mother. So who are the Kopina? So, well, the Kopina is um, it's a minority group living primarily in the Philippines, um, mostly in Quezon City in Manila. And these are the children who are born from a Korean father who many times are either young students who come to the Philippines to learn English because the Philippines is a very popular destination for young Korean students or businessmen to come and study English. This is where, because it's cheap, it's nearby in the Philippines, people speak English. And so this is where a lot of Koreans come to study English. And I know this for a fact because I personally have a number of friends and students that I know who have gone to the Philippines to study English. This is very, very common. These uh, young men will meet a Filipina woman, maybe, maybe not fall in love, maybe it's just a matter of fun or prostitution, but then the young woman will get pregnant, and when he figures that out, the Korean guy just runs away. The father just books it. Uh, primarily, it's young students, sometimes it's long-term businessmen, sometimes it's uh, travelers, and a small percentage would be tourists who are there for basic prostitution tourism. Many of the mothers uh, have low-wage jobs. And, of course, having a child and without any support from the father, that often puts them into more financial straits. And these mothers very often fall into prostitution. And, of course... Related to that, then the child also becomes a victim of prostitution, that environment. Child welfare proponents will say that the rise of Kopinas 
Their births is directly related to the growth of the South Korean community in the Philippines. Like I mentioned before, the Philippines is a very popular spot for Koreans to travel. And this isn't just for English learning. This is also for small businesses because it's easy to start a business in the Philippines. There's also the low wages comparatively to in Korea. And you can also get more bang for your buck, essentially. You can live in a nicer place for a Korean one. Um, you can also buy more and it is a very popular holiday destination. They have so many beautiful islands. The Philippines is a real jewel. It's a gorgeous country. I've been there multiple times myself. And so it also being in close proximity and it's very cheap to fly there from South Korea. Naturally, it's a very popular destination. But uh, as you can see, connected to this, the growth of South Korean travelers going to the Philippines. Now we are also seeing the rise of Kopina. Now, how many are there? No one can say for sure. There aren't really any official stats. It's actually very difficult to get official numbers, but some say it's rising every year by the thousands. According to some NGOs and local groups are estimating about 30,000 Copinos are living around the Philippines, primarily, like I said, in Quezon City in Manila, because this is a very popular spot for Koreans to go to. And actually, I mean, I myself have been to Manila many times and it's not uncommon to have people there stop and ask you, oh, are you Korean? You know, um, when I was in Boracay, sometimes when I would just be walking past the shops, people would not ask me in English like, oh, come in or whatever. They would say, Agashi, Agashi, 안녕하세요. they would speak to me in Korean as if um, they were Korean shopkeepers because there were so many Koreans there. It's become very common to recognize Koreans oh who are here in the Philippines and so um, yes in Manila that's where a lot of Koreans live as well and have businesses and communities now why is this happening kind of as I was mentioning before Korea is uh, well Philippines is a very popular destination for Koreans and actually how popular is that well according to some recent stats Korea was the number one visitor in the Philippines. Of all the tourists who are visiting from around the world to the Philippines, Koreans took first place. We just love the Philippines. And this is not a new thing. So starting back in the 1970s, Koreans or the two countries engaged in trade. Philippines is actually well known for their open borders. And you can see when you go visit the Philippines, especially in Manila, um, yeah, mostly in Manila, I would say, and some outlying cities. But you're going to find McDonald's, you're going to find KFC, you're going to find even Olive Young, and all kinds of brands that you couldn't find in Korea, actually, because Korea has more closed trading borders than the Philippines. But in the Philippines, you're going to find brands and companies and businesses from all over the world, just swamping into the Korean or the Philippines economy. So in 1970s, Korea and the Philippines were also becoming trade partners. And then in the 1980s and the 1990s, this is when Korean education was really being emphasized. And so the people who were traveling to the Philippines was diversified into the arrival of students and missionaries, since we know Korea loves sending out their Christian missionaries. And then come the 1990s, when Korea was starting to travel a lot more, uh, then we had more tourists. Philippines is only about four hours away from Korea by flight, and there's so many flights going back and forth. They've got gorgeous islands, some of the best in the world, Palawan, Cebu, Boracay. And uh, since 2011, all the way up to today, 
The number of Koreans visiting the Philippines is just increasing by the thousands. Um, it's multiplying tenfold every year. So to kind of give a little bit of perspective, in 1997, 170,000 Korean tourists. In 2007, 650,000 tourists. And the number is just increasing. In 2014, uh, Korea was the top of the list for foreign students studying in the Philippines. Now, it's not just like Korea's, you know, swamping into Philippines, like, hey, we're here. <laughs> we just want to come. The Philippines is also encouraging tourism. This is a benefit to them as well. They encourage tourism. This can be through golf. This can be language exchanges for study. And additionally, they've got low-priced red lights districts, which can attract a number of people from across the board. And the Philippines has a long history of colonization. This is with Spain, America, Japan. Obviously, there are negative aspects of that, and there are still wounds that have yet to be healed and recognized. But one thing in the Philippines is that people are more accustomed to marrying with foreigners and having them embraced in the community. I myself, when I visit the Philippines, I know it sounds weird, but I never really feel like an outsider and I always enjoy my time there and people are just so lovely. And so I think because now I could just be speaking out of my back pocket if anybody knows better than me, but this is just my speculation because the Philippines has a long history of having open borders and colonization and encountering lots of different people groups throughout the years. I feel like the Philippines is just a lot more open to being um, mixed and a lot more open to marrying foreigners. It's not really something weird or looked down upon. And as a matter of fact, I would also state that marrying a foreigner, there is still this, um, this idea that it's a way to overcome poverty because we know that the Philippines, you know, is not a first world country yet. So this is a bit more of the Philippines culture that is kind of leading to why we're having more copinas happening these days. Now, if anyone's been to the Philippines, you will know Philippines is primarily a Catholic country. Actually, not primarily. It's <laughs> it's supremely Catholic country. And this is why, you know, they celebrate Christmas so well. I have heard that Christmas in the Philippines is the best anywhere in the world, though I will admit some of my friends from England will dispute that. Because of this Roman Catholic background, um, traditionally, the Catholic Church does not allow abortions. And this is still the case in the Philippines. And additionally, I also believe because of this warm culture, community aspect in the Philippines, you know, having a child is a blessing. Um, you know, I believe that's true no matter which country you're in. But in the Philippines, oftentimes when these young girls, even very young teenage girls who become pregnant, they'll keep the babies. Okay, so they are single, young, keeping the babies, tend to be in low-wage positions, and now having to raise children without the father's support tends to lead to poverty. So we can see why this minority group um, ends up in such plights and such difficulties, just economically. So how has the Philippines responded to this situation? Well, many are living in poverty, as I have explained before. Now, if the children do not have a father, and this is the case in a lot of patriarchal countries, there's no father, then they cannot have their name on the family registry. And uh, sometimes they can't even go to school because of that. And so some of these mothers are enrolling their children illegally so that they can go to school, but they have to pay for that. And um, therefore, the moms oftentimes have to do less than desirable jobs in order to support. So these kids 
even though their nationality might be Filipino, you'll read many stories about how they are not acknowledged as uh, Filipino. And overwhelmingly, the Philippines government has been silent on this situation. Now, if you guys know about any more recent information, please let me know. But most of the articles that I'm checking out are starting all the way back in 2005, when this is first this issue is first brought to light in Korea by an NGO, up to even 2019. But you know, I know things that can change rapidly. So if you know any more information, please let me know. Now let's talk about how Korea has responded. If you have watched the Light Dai Han video, you will see that Korea does a great job of keeping, um, let's just say, anything that makes the country look less than perfect or, or excellent um, in an international image, you will see that they don't like to acknowledge that. And it seems to have been the case as well with Copinos for many, many years and even still to today. So Copinos do not have Korean nationality and so they're not protected by the multicultural family support law. Um, but, you know, this is really remarkable and I think that this is, well, it's a landmark ruling and I believe that we're going to see more similar cases in years to come. But in 2014, the Seoul Family Court ruled in favor for two boys from the Philippines who filed a lawsuit against their Korean father. They demanded that they be acknowledged as his children. They won the case and now they are getting child support. And then also in the Suwon District Court in 2015, there was another ruling that a Korean man who has two sons from a Filipino wife or woman must pay child support as well. Now, the number is only 500,001 every year. That's like 100 or $450 a month, which is really not much, but it goes a lot farther, right? And so they have to pay child support every month until the child is full grown. This is a huge step forward. Now, how is this happening? How are these um, families or these copinos and their moms getting justice for, um, for the situations that's really out of their hands? Well, this is all due to some NGOs that are really doing um, amazing work. There is one NGO called Taktinneil, and uh, their director, Lee Young-hee, says um, irresponsible men must be brought to justice. And he also says we must raise awareness. People have to have proper education, especially businessmen who are moving to the Philippines. People need to be made aware of the plight of what happens if you're just going to have a kid and then just abandon them, especially in the Philippines and you don't want to take any responsibility for that. And so people are now starting to raise awareness and Taktine is doing a really good job in acknowledging this. This NGO was founded in 1995 to protect rights of children uh, who have been abused. This was uh, the first place that opened a center for sex education. Uh, it's the first of its kind in Korea, and that was in 1995. So it's really remarkable that they were doing that. And still today, now they're trying to help Copinos. And they are one of the NGOs um, helping bring these cases to the courts in Korea so that these kids can get child support. The Korean government does not recognize Copinos as Korean. So they cannot get citizenship. In fact, of all the Copinos who have come to Korea to ask for recognition of paternity through the court system, only four of those people uh, only four of those kids have one citizenship. And this is another issue that I'm going to bring up in just a bit. Now, um, we see already <laughs> that uh, fathers, especially in Korea, um, don't want to pay child support. And if they don't get caught, then 
Who's to say they have to? And so these NGOs are recognizing that we need to help these women in the Philippines with their kids, track down the fathers, prove paternity, and then win the lawsuit so that we can get child support, so that these kids can get some economic help and at least go to school, even if the Korean government doesn't want to recognize them as Korean children. In 2005, this was in the issue of Copino's uh, surfaced. Again, this was by that same NGO, there. And so this NGO has been doing a lot of great work and I, I really think that they're doing a great job. They're waging an awareness campaign in Korea about irresponsible Korean men who travel and take no responsibility for any offspring. Uh, and now on the other side, of course, uh, you're going to have some who say the Korean government is not responsible for these mistakes that the individual citizens make. That's their choice, that they made the mistake. We should not infringe upon that. But let's look at this on the other hand. Have you also heard about the mixed kids related to uh, Japanese occupation? They were called Japinos, if you want to say. Again, these are not official terms, but Japanese Filipinos. Similar situation as what we are talking about with Korean and Filipinos. But on the flip side, Japan did take responsibility for these kids. They allowed Japinos to have Japanese citizenship. So it's kind of ironic, isn't it? that we have Japan handling their situation very differently to how Korea is handling the situation, while at the same time, we know Korea has their own grievances against Japan. As of 2019, this is my most recent information bit that I could find, the Ministry of Justice provided guidelines allowing Copinos uh, and other children born out of wedlock, if they have received recognition of paternity, they have allowed them to enter South Korea. This is the first time that the government has set up measures on the issues of Copinos. So what does this mean? Basically, it's allowing these kids to obtain visas as long as they don't have any criminal records, you know, anything else like that. And this is a big step forward because um, a lot of citizens from developing countries have a hard time obtaining even a visa to come into Korea. And so even if some Copinos are filing for recognition of paternity, sometimes they can't even attend the court hearing because they can't get the visa um, because of all of these qualifications required, like proving your economic capability, for example, or present uh, the invitation, who's inviting them to get that visa. How, who are they going to call on, and especially when these kids um, may be living in poverty, how can they prove economic capability? This is the first time that the Korean government is going in the right step in helping these kids. Now, why is it so hard for Copino children to obtain Korean nationality? It has to do with how Korean citizenship laws work. In order to win your Korean citizenship, you have to prove the... Well, you have to submit certain documents from the father in question. So one, you have to find the father, you have to prove that they're the father, and then you have to get the documents from the father and have them submit them for you so that you can get your Korean nationality. And as you can imagine, um, some of these Korean fathers are loath to submit these documents or hand them over. But NGOs like Dream Come True, like Taktindeir, um, they have helped many of these cases get recognition of paternity in court. However, like I mentioned, only four of these cases have obtained nationality so far. Ironically, in 1991, South Korea had ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. And basically, this is saying that the state has to ensure a child has protection and care as it is necessary for his or her well-being. 
they have to take all appropriate legislative and administrative measures. It's saying that the child has the right to know and be cared for by his or her parents. This is the rights for the children. This exists in South Korean law. And yet we see what is happening today still. Um, and it is only because of NGOs raising their voices on these issues that um, that 1991 uh, UN Convention on the Rights of the Child is being carried through. I had a hard time finding what the Philippines and Filipino NGOs were doing for the Copino children. But thankfully, there are organizations in Korea who are doing um, as much work as they can. There is an interesting man named uh, Son Bomsik, and he's actually the one who takes credit for making up the term Kopino. And he said he, he was the one to describe people of mixed Korean and Filipino ethnicity. And it was in 2006 that he opened a school, which ultimately then became a shelter for these kids when their moms can't afford to take care of them and when they can't find their father. So he is actually in the Philippines doing that right now. And he founded the Kopino Children's Association, where there's about 200 children living there with him and his wife. These certain organizations, these NGOs, are actively working now. And a big thing that you can do and what we can do is essentially raise awareness. Get the word out. Make sure people know that this is happening, especially to people who maybe are mixed Korean, mixed Filipino, because this is a plight that is now something that we know and we can't ignore that fact. And so just talking about it and learning as much as we can. And then if you feel so called to, reaching out to these organizations and help support. I know that will make a really big difference. There's one last person I wanted to mention, and his name is Kubun Chang, and he's an activist for Kupinos. Now, <laughs> one of his friends, Filipino woman, was trying to find her son's father, the Korean father. And the father had left a fake address, but she showed to Kubun Chang, and he said, this is fake, and he knew it was fake right away. So what he did is he opened up an NGO called We Love Kopino, WLK. This was in 2015. And this actually caused uh, quite an uproar in Korea because uh, what he was doing was posting photos on Facebook of the fathers, posting who they were and as much information as he could so that these the uh, fathers would be aware that their kids are looking for them and be able to connect them and bring justice. This really caused a nationwide discussion. Was this infringing on privacy or was this actually for the betterment of the public? Um, and so it kind of had, uh, there were quite some problems and some of the fathers filed for defamation nothing happened and he mentions that he got threatening messages and calls he was beat up by gangs in korea and in the philippines and then he says tongue-in-cheek the beatings were paid for by the fathers and he's still doing this today and what he is doing is he is helping these women who have copino children file uh, for child support through Korean courts and getting a DNA testing to confirm who the biological father is and to help them get through the legal battle so that they can get um, child support. Even if, you know, they, they're not going to have emotional support or physical support from these guys, at least they're getting child support. And this is definitely a first step. As of 2017, 39 out of the 62 fathers featured on the blog got in touch with their former partners in exchange for having their photos and details taken down. So it's, uh, it's an unorthodox way to go around it, but that's the power of the internet and social media, and I think um, <laughs> that has to be lauded. So there are people who are trying to help the Copinos and trying to help their moms and trying to help them get child support. And I think we can be a part of that as well by talking about this, by being educated and raising awareness as well. 
Wow, that was really, I think,、um, a spitfire episode. I just kind of threw out all the information on you. So thanks so much for listening so far. And、uh, we're going to zip on ahead to listener mail. This is an email that came in from、um, one of our listeners named Chris. And Chris has written to us before, but I really like this one because he addressed three of our recent episodes. So I'm just going to read this out loud to you guys. So he mentioned on the beauty of sorrow, Han, the episode of Han. Becky, your reflection on Han and how you've witnessed much of it through your mom was extremely relatable for me. When my mother first moved to the United States after marrying my Korean father in the early 1990s, She had left her family in Korea. She tells me how her first year in the US was so difficult. Given that she had to give up the comfort of having her family around her, her ability to communicate with others, she didn't speak all that much English at the time, just general comforts that came with being in her then home country. It was definitely a period of hardship and grief for my mother, and I don't think she was necessarily alone in her feelings of Han. As you've also shared about your mother. Slowly, my mom's side of the family did end up moving to the US a few years after their marriage, and I think she's been highly grateful for that. It was meaningful to hear you speak about your mother on that episode. Thank you for mentioning that. I think the more that we bring up these secret heartaches, especially of the generations prior, in a way that is a way to bring understanding and thus compassion, which can lead to forgiveness and healing. And I really do think that there are generational traumas. That exists, kind of what we talked about in the Han episode. And hopefully, by talking about this and recognizing, hey, we're not alone in that,、um, this can lead to people feeling more comfort and ultimately healing in this. So, thank you for sharing that, Chris. And then he continues on to how do we handle our own mental wellness online? Ah, this episode was so, like, I don't want to say it was hard to talk about it. But in a way, we had to be pretty vulnerable because I like to put up a front, you know, that I've got everything under control, that I know what I'm doing here. But for sure, this episode was kind of shining a light <laughs> into the cracks and revealing to you guys that you, we have our own difficulties and struggles as well. So thanks for being part of that journey. Chris writes in this episode was beautiful, vulnerable, honest, and bold. I think the self reflection and openness that you all as hosts embody is really impactful to your audience members. I hope so. I would just like to say that it takes a lot of courage to speak openly about a lot of the content you put out, and it's heartbreaking to hear some listeners give you such negative feedback in derogatory and intentionally hurtful ways. I think a lot of it may come from their own insecurities with their beliefs and values, and it comes out in the form of projection and unbridled deflection. You all have support from me as a listener, and I'm sure many of your audience members would agree with me saying a collective thank you for all the work that you're putting into this project. Oh man, you know, this is my time to soothe the wounded beast. When I read all the mean comments that we get, and then I get an email like this, suddenly I feel like all is right with the world. This is all it takes that soothing balm of words. Thank you, Chris, for that. I really appreciate it. And finally, this was from our most recent episode, Light Dai Han, the Forgotten Vietnamese Korean Children from the Vietnam War. I would like to thank you for addressing this issue, which I also learned about pretty recently from Kathy Hong's Park book, Minor Feelings and Asian American Reckoning. Oh, this is a great book. I'd like to check it out. I hope this podcast can start and continue the dialogue in Korean society around this not so pretty side of Korean history. As much as I am an advocate for Japanese government acknowledgement and reparations for the wrongdoings of the quote unquote comfort women situation that took place up until 1945, I would equally point out that Korea's involvement in gender based violence against Vietnamese women during the Vietnam War should be met with the same principal measures they demand from Japan. 
I think that you say it very well, and that is what I'm hoping our listeners,、uh, foreigner and Korean alike, will recognize, is what I'm hoping to put out with these episodes. Thank you so much for writing in, Chris. And we do have a lot of other messages from other listeners and viewers as well, but I'll save those for another day. In the meanwhile, we're just gonna wrap up the episode here. And、um, if you are Copino, if you know someone who is, if you've got a connection to somebody,、um, Copino families in the Philippines, we'd really love to hear from you and hear about your own stories. When the pandemic lifts up, we would hope to travel to Vietnam at some point and Philippines as well and connect with some of these NGOs and people and get their own stories firsthand. So,、um, this is something we're hoping for. And、uh, that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to. Oh, you know what, guys? If you can star and review this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts, that would be significantly helpful. I would really, really, really appreciate it. You can share and like and do all those wonderful things as well. And leave some reviews. Did I already say that? Please leave some reviews. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave a comment below and let us know what you thought about this podcast and how much you missed Cedric. If you have your own stories to say, you've got something you'd like to mention to us, you can always get in touch at thehappyproject at gmail.com. We are The Happy Project.